This podcast was recorded at Grace Point Church of Orville. For more information, visit us online at orogracepoint.com. We need a lengthy passage today because it's important to get the whole story here. A lot of times with these stories in the Bible, we just read one verse and we miss how the whole thing is is framed. So it's important here to read all of this. So John chapter 9, beginning verse number 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him to the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, 
Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. What a story. What a story. And this works perfectly uh, for those who celebrate Palm Sunday because it's about an entry that causes confusion. So you can be seated. I want to preach for a little while today on this subject, sin sniffers. And there's a lot going on in this passage. We could linger here for weeks talking about this uh, extended passage here, but I want us to clue in on a couple of things First of all, clue in on how clueless everybody seems to be in this story. This is a chaotic story in which most everybody seems to have no clue what is going on. From the very beginning, the disciples are clueless. Then this, these neighbors are clueless. The healed man is a little bit confused about some of the particulars. His parents are fearful. The, the Pharisees, rather, are divided and confounded. And it's such a mess that at the end of the story, the final words are, and they cast him out. Right? That's how it ends. And I think one of the pieces here that can be challenging to us is this, what I'm calling these sin sniffers here. It's a theme that runs throughout this entire passage from the very beginning when the disciples, they're walking with Jesus and they see this man who is blind from birth and their first question is who sinned? They're, the first thing that comes to their mind is who are we supposed to blame? Who did something wrong? Who's at fault here? Who are we supposed to blame for this present circumstance? And it's interesting and I, th I think it speaks to our nature as humans, why this is the first thought, why this is the first place that their minds go. These are disciples. These are people who are supposed to be walking with Jesus, and their first thought is not, how can we help this guy? Their first thought is not, what can we do to help? Their first thought is, Jesus, whose fault is this? And Jesus sets the stage for the rest of this story by saying, you've missed the whole point. This is not about him sinning or his parents sinning. This is an opportunity for God to demonstrate his work and his goodness. Why? Jesus says, the night's coming. That we have a season in which we're supposed to be at work. It's daytime. We have been called to a mission. We've been called for a purpose it's not something that's going to go on forever. There's a terminal point. This season is going to close. But while I'm here, we're supposed to be doing the works of light. Now, that's interesting because what that suggests is that this ministry of light is not about blaming people. Because that's the corrective that he offers to them. And he says, I am the light of the world. 
what's taking place here, this is an opportunity for you to see my character, for you to see my nature. So he does this really weird miracle, right? It's not something that we would normally expect. You'd have spit in somebody's, you know, in the mud, make some kind of saliva mud ball thing, and then rub it in their eyes. But this is what Jesus does. And it's kind of a strange sort of thing. Doesn't really fit with what we're doing. But the man goes, he washes, and he comes back, and he's seeing. He's healed. And his neighbors are really confused. Right? They're the first people who are confused in this. They can't decide if it's the same guy. Is this really the guy? Is this not the guy? What's taking place here? And some said, no, it's him. And others were like, no, it just looks like him. And I think this is indicative of the work of Christ in our, in our world. When Jesus comes and begins to work in our lives, it's going to be a little bit confusing at times. Right? It's not exactly what we would have expected. This is characteristic. It seems to be something that's associated with Jesus' working throughout his whole ministry. When the light comes and shines into our lives, it's going to cause a change. It's going to disrupt things. Things are going to be different, and it's going to cause questions. It's going to cause people to wonder what's going on. And that's not a bad thing to wonder, hey, what's taking place here? Where are things go off the rails is the fact that when they bring him to the Pharisees, the neighbors, it was sort of confusing. They weren't sure what was happening, and their response was, well, let's go spread the news. The Pharisees' response is different. They're much more like the disciples. As soon as they hear the story, they recognize, oh, wait, he's not doing things by our rules. This guy's a sinner. Now think about the absurdity in that. They bring this man who's been healed, and their first response is not to celebrate. It's not to rejoice. It's to f try to ascertain, is this Jesus guy a sinner? And they're conflicted about it, but it seems like they, they end up, the argument that carries the day is, this guy's a sinner. Both of these groups are obsessed with sinners. The disciples, who sinned? Who are we going to blame? The Pharisees, their first thing is, where's, who's the sinner here? Is he doing what he's supposed to be doing? How is this happening? Maybe he's breaking the rules. And then, of course, they say to the man, well, give glory to God. This man's a sinner. Now, what's striking about that to me is this. They didn't give glory to God. They didn't rejoice. You see, there is this, this professional sin-sniffer mentality that's very dangerous. And it's dangerous for this reason. You miss out on the light. The disciples at the beginning of the story, they were running the risk of missing out on the work of God because they were obsessing over who it was to blame. The Pharisees... They miss an opportunity to rejoice and celebrate because they're too worried that the guy who did this is a sinner. And we can't get involved with that. We can't get uh, contaminated by that sort of thing. When confronted with a work of healing and restoration, and you have to understand, for this man, this work goes far beyond just being able to see. Understand, if he's blind, he's not allowed to go in the temple. 
He's not allowed to go in and worship. He's not allowed to go in with the rest of the folks and celebrate God's. He's permanently stuck on the outside. So when Jesus heals him, it's not just, oh, I've been cured. It's now he's able to rejoin the worshiping community. He's able to go again into the house of God. And when the religious folks see this, their first response is not to glorify God, but they're worried that this guy got to rejoin them because of some illegal act. Like somebody must have broke the rules to get this guy in here with us. They start challenging this poor guy. Well, what about this? And what about that? And then they're going to get his parents in there. And his parents... They really don't know what's going on either. They're only the declaration, right? They said, well, we know that this is our son, and he was born blind. We just don't know how he did this. Or, Yeah, we're a little confused too. Now, their confusion is a little bit couched because they're afraid. Right? There are all kinds of these interesting themes here. They're afraid that somebody else is not going to think good of them if they agree to just give glory to this Jesus guy. So they're caught up in the same mess. You see how, what a messy, chaotic story this is. The disciples are obsessed over who's to blame. Jesus heals the guy, says, I'm the lie of the world. And if you'll notice, Jesus is now gone from the rest of this story. He's moved on. And the aftermath, the neighbors don't know if it's really the guy, but they figure, well, something's happened to him. Let's take him up to the rest of the folks and show him off. And now they're all arguing about whether or not he got healed by a sinner. What a stupid thing to argue about. They should be rejoicing. They should be celebrating this poor guy who's been stuck his entire life outside. He gets to come in and worship with us. But instead, they're obsessed. There's a sinner. We know there's a sinner at work. Somewhere there's a sinner in all of this. Right? They're all looking for the sinner when the light of the world is walking among them. What a confused priority list. What an upside-down world to be going around you know, like some kind of spiritual bloodhounds. If you read about bloodhounds, they're pretty amazing. All the stuff, the whatever hundred million olfactory sensors that they've got in their nose and they can smell things for days and they're really impressive. Someone once described it, the difference between how a dog smells and a human is you walk in the house and you say, oh, that smells like a good chocolate cake. Dog walks in and says, eggs, flour, vanilla, salt. They can discern all of that kind of stuff and miss the cake. <laughs> These professional sin sniffers, and I don't know why it's always the most religious people that get hung up in this. They're trying to find the sinner. Let me just solve the problem real easy. If you're looking for the sinner today, here's the best way to find them. Go get a mirror. Right? If you're trying to sniff out the sinner, who's the sinner in all this? Go get you a mirror. Oh, well, you know, I'm not out killing people. I'm not on meth. Congratulations. What about jealousy? What about sowing discord? What about a proud look? 
Oh, friend, God hates those things just as much. They're right on the same list. And if you're going to be obsessing about finding the sinner, you might as well just go look in the mirror. I have come not to sniff out the sinner today. I am interested in the light of the world. I am interested in rejoicing and celebrating the fact that we used to be stuck out there. We had no legitimate right to be here. But Jesus came walking along and he radically transformed our lives. So much so that some of your neighbors might have to wonder whether it's really you. That's exciting. That's something to celebrate, not something to try to parse in 10,000 ways and see if somebody broke the rules somewhere. It's all about priorities. And so these guys, they say, oh, give glory to God. They don't do it. But sin sniffers, you can always tell, they're always trying to act like they're protecting God. Give glory to God, but this guy's a sinner. God doesn't need us to protect him. Jesus doesn't need us to safeguard his doctrinal orthodoxy. Just let him be. He will go around and heal people. He was always getting in trouble with these groups. He's forgiven sins. Whoa, you can't do that. Too late, he already did. Healing people, touching people um, with compassion and, and kindness and mercy and eating with the wrong people. Oh, you're not supposed to eat with them. Right? They're constantly obsessing. <laughs> Somebody's breaking the rules. Somebody's not doing it right. And they're missing out on the light of the world. Now, of course, as this story unfolds and they're trying to go back and forth, uh, they do. He, he, the poor guy who's healed, all he says is whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. And that's still not enough for these folks. He's like, oh, are you going to be their disciple? And then they play that card. Sin sniffers always have impeccable pedigrees. We are disciples of Moses. Sure you are. Then go read Moses. Because Moses was telling you about this day. But you're obsessing. You're missing it. You're, 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 you're somehow getting off track. This phrase when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. It should remind us of the opening of John's gospel. Remember how John opens his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. All things were created by Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life and the life was the light of humanity. And the light shines on in the darkness, but the darkness has not mastered it. In King James, it says, it comprehendeth it not. It's an interesting Greek word that's hard to translate with one English word. It's to grasp, to seize. The basic imagery here in the beginning of John is that this light is shining out. And the darkness, it can't, it can't get its mind around it. It can't control it. It can't conquer it. It can't contain it. It just keeps on shining. This story is a perfect example of what that looks like in practice. Jesus just comes. I am the light of the world. He just comes bringing life. And the forces of this world, they just cannot get their head around it. 
it just confounds them. They struggle with it. They, they, they can't make sense of what's going on. They can't seem to bring it under their own power. And so, they miss it. They get diverted. This passage, it's fascinating, at the very end, it ends with an echo of how it started. Right? Oh, Moses, we're Moses' disciples. And you, you were in sin from the day you were born. Why are you going to teach us? Cast him out. Both groups. It starts off, the man born blind. Oh, who sinned that he's born this way? Ends. You've been born in sin forever. We're going to throw you out. What a tragic, chaotic mess by these folks, his disciples and the religious folks who should have known better, obsessing with trying to find the sinner, trying to find the sin. And in the meanwhile, right in their presence is an amazing miracle. A man whose life has been changed. Right? This is not a theoretical exercise for him. This is not arguing over some fine details, not the small print of the contract. This is a flesh and blood human being who is in their presence, who was blind, who was excluded, who was outside of the community. And Jesus has made him whole. Jesus has restored him. Jesus has brought him into fellowship with them. And the sin sniffers are oblivious. They're clueless. They can't decide if he's a sinner. Give glory to God. Is it the same man? They're just in a total uproar. Why? Because their priorities were upside down. Can I suggest to us today that the light of the world still shines on? Even today, on this Sunday afternoon, Jesus is healing people. He's restoring people. He's rescuing people. And if you want to participate in that, you need to reorient your focus. Today, I want to focus on the light of the world who's bringing life and wholeness and goodness. When it comes to my own life, I can't explain a lot. You can try to figure out who broke the rules so that I could be saved. I am glad today that I can lift my hands and worship God. I'm glad that you're able to worship God. How did you get here? I don't know. Jesus did something and you're here and that's enough for me and I'm going to rejoice with you. I'm going to celebrate with you. There's enough blame to go around. Let's just love Jesus. Let's just celebrate the fact that God did not abandon us. God did not walk away from us. God did not just pass us on by. Right? He could have just kept on going past that blind man. Sinner, got what you deserve. Walk on. Jesus says, no, it's daytime. The night's coming, but right now we've got work to do. And our job is not to go around and find all the sinners. Our job is to celebrate what Jesus is doing, to testify to Jesus' goodness, to go everywhere and always declaring, 
Our God is good. He's redeemed us. I may not be able to give you all the fine theological details, but I can tell you this. He changed my life. And you can say what you want about Jesus. He changed my life. And when I encounter other people that Jesus has changed their life, I'm not going to put them through the third degree to figure out how and why and if somebody broke the rules. I'm just going to celebrate with them. Wherever I meet them, if I meet them here, if I meet them at the store, we had to order a new sign. And the guy who prints the signs out up in paradise, um, he, when he emails back, he'll sign it brother. And so I called him on the phone. He said, God's good, isn't he? I said, he's awesome. He said, 11 years ago, this coming Sunday, God delivered me for being an alcoholic. And I said, that's fantastic. That's great. What a wonderful Jesus we serve. He said, it's good. Your sign's on the way. Talk to you later. That's how we're supposed to respond. Not, well, give me the name of your sponsor. I need to find out if this is legit. What was the name of the church you were in? Oh, I'm talking about being a sin sniffer. It's time to celebrate what God is doing. When he came walking into the city, they waved palm branches. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It is time for us to celebrate the goodness of God wherever we find it, in whosever life it appears. Why? Because Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus is good. Jesus is wonderful. Today, I celebrate each and every one of your lives. I am glad that you're here. I am glad that the Lord reached down and touched you. And like I said, I've seen some of the pictures. Some of the pictures you wonder, is that really them? And we'll just trust that was you. We won't have to drag your parents in here and say, is that really your kid? We'll just celebrate. I was blind, now I see. I was outside and Jesus brought me in. What a great and wonderful God. Let it not be said of us at the end of the day. And they cast him out. That's not us. No, our first thought when we see somebody in trouble, Lord, help us if it's who's the sinner here? Who's to blame here? No, we ought to see every life that we encounter as an opportunity for the light of Jesus to do something wonderful. Every person, when we leave this place and we go all of our separate ways, whomever we encounter, our first thought ought to be, Jesus can do something good here. Jesus can do something wonderful here. Jesus can help this person. There's a future here. There's hope here. There's optimism here. Why? Because he is the light of the world. The healed man as I like the translation says, the man who had formerly been blind, almost like the artist formerly known as Prince, I guess, or something weird like that. The man who had formerly been blind, when he's confronted with these sin sniffers, I like what he says. He says, this is an amazing thing. <laughs> Maybe you've experienced that. God does something good for you. And people just can't deal with it. This is amazing. <laughs> Why aren't you happy? Why aren't you glad I'm not spun out of my head? 
Right? It's amazing that people could fall so far short of celebrating the goodness of God. Today, our story, every single one of us <clears throat> have been touched and healed by this wonderful Jesus who opened our eyes. I am glad for that. I am, I am so very glad for that. And I am purposing in my heart that I want to go forth declaring God's goodness, God's mercy, God's love. So today, we're going to celebrate, we're going to sing, we're going to worship. If you have trouble today, let me tell you about Jesus. He's not interested in rehashing the last 30 years of your life and everything wrong you've done. He just wants to open your eyes. He wants to heal you. And you have come to a group of people that we're going to worship with you. We will celebrate with you. We're not going to second guess and put you through the third degree. Or are you sure you were really blind? No, we'll just take you at your word. If you're anything like us, you are a mess before Jesus found you. And again, if you're still hung up on sinners, I'll buy you a mirror if you need one. Just leave the rest of us alone. Why? Because I know I have faults. That was never, I've, I know I was blind. I'm not contesting that. I'm just telling you, Jesus did something good for me. And I'm happy about it. And Jesus did something good for you. And I'm happy about that. Why don't we lift up our voices together? Lord Jesus, thank you today. Thank you, Lord, that you're a healer. Thank you, Lord, that you're a redeemer. Thank you, Lord, that you want to do good things in our lives. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to rejoice. Help us to celebrate with one another the blessings of God that are in our lives. Lord, today, if we have trouble, help us to confidently put it in your hands. Thank you for listening. Our podcasts are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. To hear more, visit us online at orogracepoint.com.